Ours is a podcast of the Forsaken. I am your leader, the Banshee Queen, the Dark Lady, and you are listening to Corpse Run Radio. For the Horde! This is Corpse Run Radio. We are the Forsaken, the Forsaken. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 106 of Corpse on Radio. My name is Grant Nagus. This show is going to be the last show before BlizzCon since I'm leaving next week to go to Anaheim. And since this is a bi-weekly show, I'm not home to make the show for release in the BlizzCon week. But I will definitely make a show for release once I'm back home, which is going to be probably Friday the 8th or Saturday the 9th of November, depending upon when I'm going to end up getting home. I will definitely put some pictures and whatnot in the Discord, so you can go and check that out if you want to see some pictures and stuff. The link to the Discord is in the show notes, so you are welcome to join and check it out. I look forward to this year's BlizzCon very much, and people have said that if you want to go to a single BlizzCon, this one, 2019, is probably the one that you want to go to. Obviously, we don't know how much truth there is in it, but I can surely see that with the 8.3 reveal, with what we get in 8.3 and with what we don't get in 8.3, there are potentially a whole bunch of things that we can conclude from the content and from the lack thereof. So I'm very excited to see what is going to happen. Since the Dark Lady features so prominently on the key art for BlizzCon, I hope that Patty will be there again and that I'll get to talk to her again. That maybe I'll get to sit down with her and uh, do an interview or something. But we'll see how that turns out. What do I expect myself from BlizzCon? Since this is a World of Warcraft podcast, I definitely expect a 9.0 reveal. I expect a in-depth presentation of more features for 8.3. I expect a reveal of the launch date for Warcraft 3 Remastered, because that hasn't been a topic for pretty much since it's been announced. Everyone has just heard that, and rightfully so, it says so in the launcher. It's going to launch before year's end, but we don't know anything yet beyond that so i'm definitely expecting a launch date and then i am definitely going to hope that we are going to see new characters highlighted 
in addition to Anduin and Sylvanas, where I don't know what position she's going to be in, because she's definitely not the Horde leader anymore, as we know, and we don't have a Horde leader at the moment. So with that said, who is going to be the opposite of Anduin? The one person that mirrors Anduin on the Horde side? That person should be featured, maybe? New positions are to be occupied. The Dark Spear don't have an official new leader yet. The Orcs don't have an official leader. The Forsaken have lost their leader, sadly. So those three factions definitely need to have people step up and take the mantle of leadership. So those are three people that can be highlighted in a new way again. So I think that there's quite a bit of lore to discuss. The fate of the Dark Lady hangs in the balance, obviously, as does the fate of Ashara. So getting answers to those questions is something that I really look forward to. We might not get answers to all of them, but most of them, I think, are fair game. So with that said, let's get on with episode 106 today. The first segment is by Mad Season Show, and he's talking about the future WoW Classic plan, where we've all wondered if it's going to happen, if there's going to be more to the WoW Classic theme, so to speak. Are we going to see a WoW Classic Plus with added content beyond the content that we got in vanilla? Or are we going into a Burning Crusade Classic and maybe Lich King Classic type of release timeline? So that's Mad Season Show's segment and I'm really interested to see that as well at BlizzCon, whether there's going to be a reveal of that sort. I don't expect that to be the case, because I think that if they do that, if they add something under the banner of WoW Classic, let's phrase it that way, they will do it in the years where we don't get a regular retail expansion much as they did with the classic vanilla that we got this year and then next year we get the 9.0 and then 2021 theoretically we could get a whatever they want to do next for the wow classic and then alternate between a new content expansion which isn't a which isn't a expansion the kind of 9.0 like i was saying but an expansion of content like wow classic plus or an additional game as in the burning crusade classic and alternate those over years but again i'm not sure about this and i don't want to discuss what i feel about this at this moment I'm quite happy with WoW Classic Vanilla as it is. So without further ado, here is Matt Season Show with his WoW Classic Plus versus the Burning Crusade. 
Hey guys, what's up? Mad Season here, back with another video for you. So, Classic has been out for over a month now. Some of you are already raid geared, some of you just hit 60, and others still leveling. People have asked me what I think of it, and it's alright. I mean, it's decent, I guess. I've been playing just a little bit here and there, nothing too crazy. But, one of the big questions that's come up quite often is after Phase 6, and the game is essentially all released, should Blizzard do the same with the Burning Crusade expansion, Wrath, and eventually the peak of the game, Draenor? Or should they do what everyone is calling Classic Plus content? Or maybe both? Well, for this video, I thought I'd go over both options, weigh the pros and cons of each one, and share what route I think Blizzard will go down. I'll try to remain neutral for the most part, as I tend to do with most of my videos, and ultimately let you be the judge of what may or may not happen. So, let's start off here by defining Classic Plus, since this is a pretty vague term. It means different things to different people, but generally to most, it means new zones, dungeons, raids, or battlegrounds after the original end of Classic, which is of course patch 1.12 and the next Ramus raid. And Burning Crusade and Wrath and whatnot are pretty self-explanatory. Basically the same thing that they've done with Classic, although maybe not an exact recreation. For example, just as how Classic was released in its 1.12 state, the Burning Crusade would be 2.4, and have a phase schedule to loosely match its content released over its 1.5 year lifespan. So both options have a lot of appeal for different reasons. However, considering that it's with a community that has catastrophic meltdowns over blob shadows, it's also a very tricky ordeal. Let's first focus on Classic Plus here, since it's basically the meat of the video. The elephant in the room, so to speak, with Classic that anyone will tell you is stagnation. Now, I always say that I could play Classic for a long time. I want to make every class, gear them all out, and focus more on PvP for my endgame, since you always have that challenge. And I'm sure many of you are in the same boat, but we need to take every player into account here. There will be a certain amount of players who hit Nextramus and then quote finish their characters and then move on from the game. MMOs live and die on new patches, new raids to complete, new gear to obtain, battlegrounds to embark upon, and so on. This treadmill is what keeps players playing, and it's the central focus of every MMO ever released. Well, until now at least. Classic in its current state is pretty unique because it's the first MMO with the planned quote end. The only thing it'll be missing is a credits screen. Blizzard is quite aware of this, which is why I've begun with the six-phase schedule to gate the content over time. Phase 1 we have Anixia and the Molten Core. Phase 2 we have Dire Maul, some world bosses, and the PvP system. And Phase 3 is the Blackwing Lair, and so on, all the way to Phase 6, which is of course Nexramus. Even private servers are aware of this issue, with some choosing to not only stagger raid releases, but also patches, starting with 1.1, and then 1.2, and then all the way to 1.12, paying special care to the finer details that the official release threw to the wayside, such as talents and class balance. But all of this only delays the inevitable. The game will see an eventual end of progression. And so, Classic Plus is born. In the hills of Tears Fall, you find the Scarlet Crusade's home base, a four-wing raid culminating with the final boss, Harold. The old abandoned Ashara Crater Battleground, originally designed to have aspects of MOBA gaming, finally sees its release, and maybe they make use of the Karazhan Crypts by turning it into a mega dungeon on the scale of the Blackrock Depths, 
or Mount Hygel is released as a level 60 questing zone and holds the Barrow Dens raid where Illidan was imprisoned during the events of Warcraft 3. This is what people mean when they say Classic Plus. It has a potential to be extraordinarily amazing, but it's evenly matched with the potential to be extraordinarily awful, and it really depends on how much trust you put in Blizzard. A lot of the people who play Classic don't have trust in Blizzard, that's why they're not playing Kern with all of its gamey aspects. The table missions, the daily emissaries, titan forging, killing 10 murlocs for an epic, cross realm, four different difficulties of raiding, class homogenization, and so on. The argument for Classic Plus is that ideally, it would be done in the spirit of vanilla. So basically, one difficulty, no dungeon finding, or any of that stuff. But the issue is that there's no objective single definition of quote the spirit of vanilla. It means different things to different people. For example, with new raids, you need new tier sets, right? So how do the set bonuses work? Will it be the old style, where it's just for one specialization? Referencing here that warrior sets were mainly for tanking, for example. Should balanced druids get a set to make them viable? Should they even be viable? The class balance meta is a huge deal to some, and insignificant to others, but at the end of the day, changed by the release of these potential new raids. In the Burning Crusade expansion, they switched from percentages over to the rating system, since the former didn't lend itself well into the long term. If we kept the percentage-based stats today, you'd see BFA items with 13% crit on each piece. So, if you released new raids in Classic, you'd eventually run into this problem. And this is just off the top of my head, I'm sure there are a thousand more things. And again, it's a very fragile community that has less than a 0% chance of agreeing on anything. The bottom line is that Classic Plus is hugely advantageous because it addresses the issue of stagnation, but it's equally disadvantageous because at that point, it's not classic. A proposed solution by some is the have your cake and eat it too method, where you release separate servers that'll have Classic Plus, and some that are true classic and Nexramus is the final raid. The big question there is that at that point, would the subscriber base be big enough to support something like that? When you bring in choices like that, you're also affecting the community, which most will say is the most important aspect of the game. Your server has an established community, and then all of the top rating guilds jump ship to Classic Plus. Like I said, if you try, you can find an issue with anything. So a lot of people just throw their hands up in this point and say screw it. You know, Classic is working out pretty well so far, so just do the same with the Burning Crusade, and Wrath, and Draenor, etc. This is the safe option that I mentioned earlier. At the time that this video was released, I think it's too early to tell if Classic is successful or not. You know me, I'm pretty much a fanatic about the game and am pushing for it, but I think we'll only really know after maybe 5-6 to six months after Phase 6 is released if it'll have the staying power that I hope it has. It's doing pretty well right now I think. The servers are maintaining a high population, several of them have in queue still, which is a good problem to have I guess but we're too close to release to determine if it's successful or not, I think. All that being said though, if it is successful, it shows that there's a clear demand for an older style of MMO, and logic dictates that other expansions such as the Burning Crusade or Wrath would be equally as successful as Classic. I always tell people, if you love Classic, you'll love the Burning Crusade. It's pretty much the same thing, just a bit better class balance, and more raids, and arena. The flying is a big turnoff to people, but other than that, it's classic and just more of it. 
Wrath a bit less so, since that's when they started getting into the multiple difficulties in raiding, starting with the Trial of the Crusader raid, and you also had heirlooms, and of course the Dungeon Finder, which seemed awesome at the time. I guarantee you, I was ecstatic when this was first released, but today, people kind of realize the negative impacts that it has on the game. The big negative with this route, however, is that ultimately, it doesn't solve that issue of stagnation. It just delays it. I mean, who knows how people are feeling about BFA 10 years from now. Do you think that they would really re-release BFA servers? Like, oh, you remember when we ran 40,000 island expeditions for a 0.001% chance at a mount? Or those times where I auto-runned into a wall in the warfronts? Gee, that was a blast. I wish I could relive that. And although I said it's the safe option, there's still that issue of fracturing the community. Again, the Burning Crusade comes out and everyone leaves your server. I think that they can stymie it by being careful with how they move players. The best option, I think, would be to allow transfer to Burning Crusade realms, but I think you should also keep your character on your classic realm. That way, you can always go back to classic if you wish, and you're leaving that door open to minimize your impact on the community and the server population. Again though, it's still a big issue I think. So in summation, Classic Plus is more risky, the potential to be great or awful, it really depends on how much you trust Blizzard, and the Burning Crusade or Wrath is more safe. However, it doesn't solve that issue of stagnation, it just delays it. And both of them have that issue of fracturing the community. In the beginning of this video, I said I'd give my opinion on what route I think they'd go down, so I guess I'll share that. In my opinion, it all depends on the health of the game. If the game is doing great 5-6 to six months after Nexramus, I think Blizzard will say, hey, this worked out pretty well, let's do the same thing with the Burning Crusade next. It's an easy choice. They're a business, and their sole purpose is to make money, and they would be straight printing it with the Burning Crusade. Blizzard will chase the money. If the whole Diablo Immortal fiasco isn't any indication of that, I don't know what is. Now, I know what you're thinking. You want to see some gameplay. What does the Diablo community want to see? You want to see some gameplay. Show me some gameplay. What? You peasants don't have mobile phones? You better not make any negative comments or I'm gonna delete them. So, if Classic is successful, they'll 100% go for the sure thing, and do the same with other expansions. Although, I think the furthest it go would probably be Wrath. Maybe Cataclysm as well, but who knows. However, if the game isn't doing well, they have less to lose by taking that risk and doing Classic Plus content, I feel. At that point, I think they'll be pressured enough to revitalize the game and keep it afloat, at which point Classic Plus becomes the more appealing option. Whatever the case is, it's way too early to tell right now. Even Blizzard doesn't even know what to do. They've of course been asked these questions a hundred times, and Ian Hazakostas, the game director of Current and sort of spokesperson of Classic, has said absolutely no. However, Patrick Dawson, the production director, said that, although there are no plans for it right now, it's something that would absolutely be considered if the fans have a desire for it. We're just over a month in, so who really knows at the end of the day? If you ask me what I want, right now I'd say the Burning Crusade as opposed to Classic Plus. I missed a lot of that progression rating in the Burning Crusade, so I just want a second shot at that, and honestly, it was just a good expansion. Although the Classic Plus stuff sounds interesting to me, 
To me, it's not classic anymore, and I prefer it in its original state. Again, I could be playing it for decades, I feel. Final Fantasy VII is the same game every time I load it, and that doesn't stop me from playing it over and over again. And it's the same with The Link to the Past, Secret of Mana, Ocarina of Time, and so on. It's a pretty bad comparison since they're single-player games, but with how huge of a scale MMOs are and them being multiplayer, that just gives it more longevity to me personally. But, you know my saying, opinions are like buttholes. Everyone has one. Some are a bit more crappy than others, but that's just the way it is. The only thing I care about is if you found the video interesting or entertaining. Like it if you liked it, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace.
My name is Tom Chilton, and I started at Blizzard in 2004. The first game I worked on here at Blizzard was World of Warcraft. Well, my role was the senior game designer. I was responsible for designing all the different talents for every class in the game. I would sit down and I would play the class for like a couple hours, and that would be all the time I had. And then I would spend about a week almost designing what the talents would be based on that little tiny bit of play experience. I recall an email that we got from Chris Metzen. Chris was incensed about something he had seen in some promotional materials where one of the designers had put a night elf on an orange tiger mount. Chris lost it. He was like, night elves should be on dark tigers only, black tigers, purple tigers, but never, ever, ever should a night elf be found on an orange tiger. So uh, Rob, emailed us all and reminded us that night elves could only be riding on approved tiger palette mounts. My wife laughs at me when we're playing. I keep calling things my favorite, and she's like, well, you said this other zone was your favorite. And it's like, well, I have a lot of favorites, all right? Just so many different places that are that are so, you know, burned into my memory as, as, as having an amazing time zone. Hello everyone. Wowhead has been hard at work a day to mine the next patch, and a sexy new model showed up. Refion will finally have his part to play in the future, so I thought there would be a good idea to sit down and cover a little bit of what we've seen on the PTR so far, as well as give some background information and talk about the future. Do keep in mind that spoilers are going to come. I'll give you a heads up as we enter the spoiler territory. For now, let's go way back in time and talk about that sweet, sweet dragon lore. As it was, Azeroth did not even always have dragons, but they did have proto-dragons, creatures that evolved from elements left behind when the Keepers they sent the elemental lords to their elemental planes. These proto-dragons were a great help to Keeper Tyr in his battle against Galagrond, so much so that they decided to empower them and turn them into the dragon aspects. There was Alexstrasza, Ysera, Nelfarian, Nosdormu and Malagos. They were the very first leaders of their individual flights, all of them having their own domains to guard. To keep the race going, more eggs and proto-dragons were evolved into dragons. Reds, green, black, bronze and blue, these are the flights who would safeguard the lands against threats from without and from within. Threats like the old gods who were buried in their prisons deep beneath the world. They longed for their freedom to return to the days where they ruled the planets. The days of the Black Empire. With Nelfarian being the Earth Warder, giving charge over the mountains and deep caverns of the Earth, he embodied the strength of the world, but this connection to it, it also made him incredibly vulnerable to the corruption of the old gods. They whispered to him for millennia. Ever so subtle, they pitched him against his fellow dragons, until his madness was finally revealed over 10,000 years ago. 
It was during the War of the Ancients, when he convinced his fellow Espex to place a portion of their power into a device of his own making, which was called the Dragon Soul. It was planned to be used against the invading Legion forces, but instead, Nelfarian, or Deathwing as the world would soon get to know him as, he turned against them. He used the device not only against the demons, but also the resistance fighting this invasion, as well as his fellow dragons. Although he would eventually be defeated, this was a mighty blow against all dragon kinds, and it would take years to recover. Years that allowed the old gods to lay seeds for future plans. Seeds like the corruption of the Emerald Dream, which was Ysera's domain, a corruption known as the Emerald Nightmare. Now the madness of Deathwing, it went further than just the aspect himself. His entire flight was under the sway of the old gods, and they would cause a whole bunch of problems to the worlds. This was not exactly what the Keepers had in mind when they granted him these powers. This was not what an Earth Warder was meant to be. Fast forward millennia into the future, to the time period of around the Cataclysm. Deathwing, in order of the old gods, still listening to the whispers. He was going around trying to bring about the Hour of Twilight. The moment in which the old gods would break out of the prisons and rule the worlds once more. He would find his demise at the end, by the hands of Goel and the other aspects. They turned the dragon soul against the corrupted aspects. The champions who fought at our side assured the survival of our world. But now, we must see it with mortal eyes. We dragon aspects have fulfilled our great purpose, and our ancient power is expended. From this, it sounds like it's the end of all dragons, like they fulfilled the titan's wishes, and they now pass on the torch to the mortals of the world. Now, it's their duty to safeguard Azeroth, and there's a reason why this ending is my least favorite one. For multiple reasons, I'm a big fan of dragon lore and taking care of Deathwing, that was never the ultimate purpose given to the dragons. They were meant to safeguard the world, and threats like the Legion, like the old gods, Nusaf for example, they're still out there. Then again, I also understand that they wanted to give it a bit of closure, so they took away a huge chunk of the aspect's powers, which is fine. You know, mortals, they've proven themselves to be defenders as well, that's not the major issue. But next to that, they also made them mortal, and on top of that, the dragons can also no longer reproduce. This was first mentioned on Twitter, and later confirmed in the questline. The race of dragons, these mythical creatures that have been around for millennia now, they would eventually die out. Jesse Cox, who's another big lore nerd, he had the opportunity to interview Ian Hastacostas, and two years ago, they talked about the future of dragons. They talked about what this choice at the end of the cataclysm actually meant for their future. Are we going to have more dragon story in the future? I think that seems very likely. I mean, certainly when you're level 112, as we learned in the Chromie scenario, dragons are going to be very important. But, you know, part of, part of, the, you know, part of the storytelling and the world building, it's always a, this, this trick of balancing, you know, the story we're telling now without completely closing off opportunities in the future. And, you know, to some extent, they're literary devices, right? Yes, you killed Illidan back in Black Temple. He seemingly was defeated. But as we're planning out the framework of the Legion expansion, man, wouldn't it be awesome to have Illidan around and wouldn't there be so many opportunities? Well, what if we tweak a couple of things? What if we, there's a little bit of retconning going on, but what if we open this door to let us tell an awesome new story? And I think similarly, it was never our intent back in Cataclysm to close the door forever on, okay, dragons are gone. There's never going to be any in the future when we can't do anything again, no more dragon raid bosses, etc. cetera. Um, but yes, we know there's, 
rebuilding to do there if we want to ever focus the storyline around them in the same ways. We know there's rebuilding to do if we ever want to focus the storyline around the dragons in the same way. So in essence, if they feel like bringing back dragons into the story, if they feel like dragons should reproduce, they have some to explain, but there is a way to make it so. Now keep that in mind for when we reach the end of this video. During the Cataclysm, we did indeed battle with Deathwing, while some members of the Red Dragon Flight, they also thought it would be really nice if we actually had a proper Earth Warden. A black dragon that wasn't corrupted by the old gods. They had no knowledge of Ebonhorn hiding out in High Mountain. He too is an uncorrupted black dragon, only he was cleansed all the way back during the War of the Ancients, and he's been hiding out with the Torrens ever since. They had no idea that he existed, so instead they performed their own experiments, trying to figure out some way of creating the first uncorrupted black dragon in millennia. By gathering wild black dragon eggs, wild black dragon corpses and Nixandra's eggs, we combined those with an ancient titan device, let it scan and excise anomalies, remove the corruption, and just like that we have ourselves an uncorrupted egg. Despite Deathwing trying to obtain it, the egg remains safe long enough for Raphion to hatch. He's not exactly happy with what the Red Dragons have done, but he's more concerned about his own corrupted flight. Rogue heroes are then recruited to help him exterminate each and every one of them, including his own father. After all is said and done, to his knowledge all of them are dead, but that's not exactly true. Disregarding Ebonhorn, who was added to the story later on, even back then we already knew about Sabellian, a black dragon stationed in Outlands. Regardless of that, Raphion believes that his mission is completed, and he then travels to a whole new land previously hidden by mist, the lands of Pandaria. Now, Despite stepping away from the red dragons and refusing to follow their orders, our mission, it was still a success. We did indeed create an uncorrupted guardian of the world, and that's exactly what Raphion is about. A vision has shown him that the Legion is coming for another invasion, and he believes that a divided Azeroth, it will never stand a chance against them. That's why, with the promise of beautiful legendary items, he recruited heroes from both factions to follow him around, help him achieve his ultimate goal, one faction to wipe out the other. Sadly though, that never played out. His carefully laid plans were foiled by Varian, who decided, after we kicked Garrosh out of the Mantle of Warchief and placed him on trial, he decided to not dismantle the Horde, but instead step away. Raphion never understood that the Alliance and Horde, they're stronger because of one another. They had stood shoulder to shoulder against massive threats like the Old Gods and the Legion before. By working together, they're a force that even the Old Gods are wary about. Sure enough, time and time again, they do fight with one another, but together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, they're incredibly powerful force. Lessons our young black dragon friends seems too stubborn to learn. Now while on Pandaria, a close friendship with Prince Anduin actually developed. During Garrus' trial, Raphion and Anduin, they confirmed that they see each other as friends, but not even that bond would stand in the way of Raphion and his goals. The Legion was still coming after all. He did not believe Azeroth was strong enough, but perhaps if they added another horde, another army to stand with them, perhaps they would have a chance. The plan was created. With the aid of the bronze dragon Kairos Dormu, Garrosh, he escaped and was transported to a whole new reality, one where he would form the horde to have it stand with our Azeroth against the Legion. But Garrosh, he wasn't down with being used like that. Instead, he murdered Kairos, yet formed his Iron Horde all the same. Not for the defense of Azeroth, but to actually conquer it. The Dark Portal turned red, and heroes ventured forth to take care of these threats, 
even Raphion made his way to this alternate Draenor, as we learn from the log found at Admiral Taylor's garrison. If you were quick enough, you could even find a glimpse of the whelp flying away from Cathcar's tower. You have to wonder what exactly they had planned with Raphion during this expansion, but like so much else, it seems to have been cut out. Then Legion Alpha rolled around, and again the Black Dragon Prince was there, in High Mountain, right there, explaining what he was trying to accomplish by setting Garrosh free. By the time Legion released, our prince was replaced by Ebonhorn, another uncorrupted black dragon, except uncorrupted in a completely different way. Whereas Raphion was a bit of an experiment with an ancient titan device, Ebonhorn's cleansing that came with the use of one of the pillars of creation, the Hammer of Kaskarov. Again, we were forced to wait and wonder what had happened to Raphion. Where was he now? What was he up to? A cameo in the chromie scenario of some alternate timeline. It just wasn't enough. So, knowing all of the background information, what exactly does that have to do with Battle for Azeroth? Keep in mind that this is the point in time where we're gonna go into the current lore, as well as spoilers for the next patch. If you don't want any spoilers, then thank you very much for watching so far. It should be obvious by now, but Raphion is a character that is liked by many, and so his return has been desired for quite some time now. One of the first hints about his actions in Battle for Azeroth, that comes from an island expedition quest. You know, those quests people don't really pay attention to, yet they drop little lore bombs, like Helia is apparently back in Helheim. Yet those quests, one of them starts with an unscarred black skill. An utterly pristine black dragon skill, taken from the dragons you recently encountered. The black dragonflight was completely decimated following Deathwing's demise and Raphion's rise to power. Yet the size indicates a younger dragon. There's one person, one dragon, that you know will want to hear of this. But where is Raphion? You surmise he may be someplace familiar, fortified and abandoned. Outside the entrance to the Blackwing Descent, we find one of his agents who accepts the skill as they were told to expect us. As compensation for our efforts, we get a little bit of Azerite as well as information. Have you heard of the Dragon Isles? Few have, and fewer have been there. We've not found others of the Master's kin to be forthcoming in information. Should you uncover anything further in your travels, we'll be awaiting a visit with payment in kind. Raphion is apparently on the hunt for the Dragon Isles, and it wouldn't be surprising if you've never heard of them before. A lot of what we know about them comes from a book called World of Warcraft Diary, written by Jonathan Stats. This book gives a really cool inside look at the development behind the game, some of the concepts that never really made it in, like the Dragon Isles. Said to be intended as a level 65 to 70 raid, located north of Lordaeron and west of Quelphalus, before it was cut. They were intended to be temples to the old gods, with Alexstrasza planned to be located there. That's pretty much all we know about the Dragon Isles, an old concept now being revived. It's not certain if that old idea, like having temples to the old gods there, if that's actually a thing, but considering what we're going to find out in the next patch, it's not crazy to think so. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So here we have a hint of Raphion being on a quest. Yet our adventures continued all the same. We filled up our heart of Azeroth in an attempt to heal the world. Mother, she did some calculating. And despite our best efforts, Azeroth isn't doing too well. World unit, Azeroth, cascading toward terminal failure. Evaluation, possible to reverse condition by amplifying heart of Azeroth. Amplify it, you see. How? Infuse heart with magical essences capable of nurturing world unit Azeroth. Example, 
energies once granted by Titan Rogers to primitive draconic life forms. The dragon aspects? But they gave up their powers to save the world from Deathwing! Readings indicate other compatible essences coalescing in numerous forms and locations. Collection of these essences necessary to fortify Heart of Azeroth and its wielder. We go out to gather essences of the different dragonflights to empower the hearts and gain access to an ability called the Crucible of Flame. I won't be going into too many details surrounding this questline as I still need to finish it myself. The main points and connection to Raphion that comes from the first essence we collect, which takes us back to High Mountain and Nelfarian's lair. Ebonhorn, that uncropped the black dragon, he joins us on this quest, even decides to stay with us in the Chamber of Hearts. We've seen him struggle against the whispers of the old gods before, and now, with Nazoth released from his prison, not even the Chamber of Heart is safe. Champion, we've got a problem! Ebonhorn, he... Old guy contamination detected. Initiating sanitization protocol. No! Don't sanitize! Champion, you've got to get back to the chamber right now! The voices... I... can't... Hold it together, Ebonhorn! Don't give in to them! Champion, I know someone who might be able to help. And that someone is, of course, Raphion. To prevent the dark forces that corrupted the Black Dragonflight once before, we're going to need his help. He's apparently been studying the old gods in order to better combat their insidious power. Not an easy guy to track down, though. First up is checking in with his associates in Pandaria at the Tavern of the Mists. Hurry, champion. Find Rathian. He may be Ebonhorn's only hope. At the tavern, we see that Nazov likes to keep an eye on things. Lurking observers we remove before talking to the Black Talon bodyguards. They were told to stay here and wait for us, said that his brother would need his help eventually. Quite interesting that Raphion now sees Ebonhorn as his brother, while in a previous expansion, the rest of his Dragonflights, they were nothing more to him but targets to take out. Is he aware that Ebonhorn is not corrupted, and therefore on the same level as he is? Perhaps. Now the message left by Raphion that comes in the form of a torn journal page, number 7 to be precise. Raphion has gone to Diarmal to delve into the knowledge of the Chandelar. References to the old gods are vague and oblique, existing only as archaeological footnotes from a time before the Sundering. The Chandelar, adept in the arcane arts as they were, could not completely unravel the intricacies of the Black Empire's dark magic. Yet a few of them they dabble in the void, and the lessons they learned grants me hope that Nazav's own power can be wielded against him. We do have an empty blade left behind by Zalatov, brought over by Horde members to the Banshee Queen, who then told Nathanos to guide us to Nashatar. Will the ultimate play be to set Nazav free, to then completely remove him? Who knows? Even in its abandoned state, the library meticulous organization truly impressed me. If only more of it had remained intact. Such an extensive loss of wisdom is lamentable. The Chandelar told ceaselessly to collect the lyrums that lined their bookshelves, only for the lion's share of it to be consumed by the flames of war. But such is the nature of warfare, is it not? Seldom does it accomplish the intentions of its architects, and never without leaving immeasurable devastation in its wake. Especially when the Horde and the Alliance are the forces in conflict. Can one ultimately say that victory is worth the price that must be paid to achieve it. Perhaps it is, in some cases, but the verdict is not as easily reached as I once thought. 
Our little prince is growing up, it seems, shaping and forming his thoughts about the world. Obviously, the Black Prince, he isn't here. Not even his bodyguards know where to find him, but they do point us to Blackrock Mountain all the same. There's a terrace carved into its slopes, where Nefarian once made his lair. Refion has been monitoring the place for a long time now, and even if he himself isn't there, we might find someone who knows where to look. At the spot where we turned in that island expedition quest, we now find the Black Talon Watcher being drained of all knowledge by Nazos minions. Forcing their way into his mind to find out what he knows. The minions go down easy enough, and another journal page was left with his cards, as well as instructions to go to Karazhan next. Torn journal page number 16 makes mention of his time in Pandaria, hanging out with the Lorewalkers and the Shadowpan. Learn more of the interactions with the Sha. This dark force originates from the essence of the old god Yasheraj. The underlying principles of their techniques it could prove effective in resisting the whispers of the old gods. I must admit, I felt a certain kinship with the Shadowpan that I did not anticipate. The Pandaren do not maintain a standing army. And so the Shadowpans serve as their sole defense against both the Mentit and the Sha. Though they have trained themselves to seal away their emotions, there is an air of solitude about them that I recognize all too well. It is no easy task to stand alone against the darkness, so that others may bask in the light. But someone must always make that stand, and they can never allow themselves to falter. That's how Refion sees himself, I guess. The man working from the shadows all alone, trying to protect the world. As instructed, we fly out to Karazhan, but the Zos minions, they've learned much from this interrogated watcher and are on the same trail as we are. Once we arrive, we find a slain Black Tenor lookout who took out several of the sleepless operatives at the cost of his own life. On his body, we find page number 25. Few mysteries intrigue me more than the lost knowledge and technology left behind by the titans. I know for certain that the forge of origination is the key to dealing the old gods to ultimate defeat, though I've not been able to discern the exact manner in which it's meant to be used. This forge of origination, it was placed in the area now known as Uldum by the titan keepers all the way back in the days of bringing order to the planets. Not only would it help the titan spirit grow, it also worked as a failsafe protocol in case that the world be too corrupted, this device could be activated to eradicate all life in the world. It's pretty much a reset button in case the old gods hold over the world it became too strong. But that's not the only way that this device can be used. In the days of Lei Shen the Thunder King, we saw that Lei Shen, he had his own vision on how to fulfill the Keeper's plans, how to lead the world as Keeper Ra, he'd fallen to despair. Lei Shen set his eyes on claiming the Forge of Origination, but the Tolver, who were left behind by Kipara to keep an eye on the place, they were outraged when they heard what Lei Shen had done to their Keeper. They would never join his side, so the Thunder King, he made ready to take it by force. Although the Tolver, they did not have the numbers to even remotely stand a chance, they did have the Forge. They configured it to scour only the nearby land and everything in it. Their enemies, as well as their allies outside in the lands of Uldum, all of them felt the energies of a making. What once was a lush jungle, a paradise as they described it, it now turned into the desert as we know it as today. That's how Lei Shen died for the first time. So this forge, it can pretty much purge the surface of the world, and it can be configured to do a much more local attack. 
Then Elgalander and Roth the Lich King. He was planning to use it, but we slapped some sense into him and he gave us a different reply code. One that deactivated the purge. Deathwing then tried to claim the forge for his plans during the Cataclysm. Plans that we prevented. And now his son Refion. He's wondering if we could perhaps use this device to deal the old gods their ultimate defeat. It is strange to think on how these events predate my own hatching. While I plumbed the depths of forgotten lore from eons past. Others have lived through crises I will only ever know from historical accounts. There must be someone on Azeroth who possesses the understanding I require. And perhaps my next course of action should be to seek them out. A pity the former aspects are so reluctant to trust me. Even after all my research, their familiarity with the Titan's handiwork, it surely eclipses my own. But given the troubled history of my dragonflight, of Deathwing, Onyxia, Nefarian, and myself, I cannot say I blame them either. Perhaps these actions are going to help him reconnect with the other dragonflights, pool their knowledge together, and figure out a solution. Inside the catacombs of Karazhan, Refion then continued his research, and now the ages of Nazoth, they're crawling all over the place, looking for the prince. With any luck, we can find it before they do. We investigate clues that are left behind, until we stumble upon Torn Journal page 58. It speaks of his time inside the tower. The insight he gained from the library, which allowed him to reach a significant milestone. I've concocted a tonic that, when invited, will cleanse a minor amount of the old gods' corruption and silence their whispers. Such is merely the first step on the path of defeating them once and for all, but a warrant celebration nonetheless. Though I knew that there were valuable lessons to learn in Karazhan, I did not anticipate that some of them would emerge from my conversations with Medivh's lingering spirits. He recounted his struggles under Sargeras' influence, as the dark titan twisted its soul from within, and I was left to wonder if similar thoughts plagued Nalfarian as he descended in madness himself. But Medivh also spoke of his spirit's return to the mortal realm, and how it guided Azeroth's champions in their fights against the very force that once corrupted him. He said something, in which I ruminate even now. I can never change the actions of my past, he told me, but I can forge a new legacy to leave behind. A new legacy. In the end, perhaps that is what I am truly after. A way to make amends for my father's failings, as well as my own. A legacy, worthy of the Black Dragonflight's original sacred charge. The defense of Azeroth, the end of the old gods. I do hope these pages have proven to be of use to you, champion. I would hate to think my agents wasted their time delivering them to you as instructed. Rest assured that when the time is right, you will have my aid in the fight against Nazoth, in the true battle for Azeroth. Oh, and one last request. Burn this journal, it is time that my actions speak for me. I really love these little lore tidbits and little lore bombs that they're dropping. But Eve's history, in short, he's a child born from Aegwyn, who was corrupted by the spirit of Sargeras after defeating his avatar in ages past. The powers of the Guardian, as well as Sargeras' spirits, they were passed on to young Medivh, which would lead to a corrupted Guardian of Azeroth. One that opened the Dark Portal and brought in the Orcus Horde for their very first invasion, to weaken it and make it ready for another invasion from the Legion. Medivh's corruption was eventually discovered. He was killed, to then be brought back by his mother and recruit the world to stand against this Legion. For a long time, people wondered what happened to Medivh at the end of Warcraft 3. 
His mother's magics had brought him back to the physical world for this specific task. And then his powers were waning. He felt that his time on the physical plane, that death was coming to an end. The task of safeguarding Azeroth, it now fell to its inhabitants, just as he had intended. Yet, his spirit is apparently tied to the Tower of Karazhan. We saw it briefly pop up during Legion, and now once more it's been confirmed that his spirit wanders the tower. One does have to wonder if Khadgar is now having conversations with Medivh as well. But either way, Refion, he's looking for a better legacy to leave behind, a better legacy for his flights. An end to the old gods, the defense of Azeroth. He will stand with us in our battle against Nazoth, in our quest of saving the world, not just from the wounds inflicted by Sargeras, but also its corruption. Champion, we need you back in the chamber at once! Ebonhorn's almost gone! Mother's opened a way gate to get you back here! Hurry! So, sadly, no Refion to be found here, yet we do still need aid for Ebonhorn. Luckily, the prince has thought of this as well. After slaying Zakor, the compelling, we find a potion of mental clarity and a hasty scrawled note. It lets us know that this potion is meant for Ebonhorn to cleanse his mind of Nazoth's influence. The whispers are silent. Rathion crafted this potion, so you were able to find him. No, he eluded both Nazoth's minions and our friend. But it seems he has found a way to resist the influence of the old gods. Refion's studies will not go to waste, as Mother absorbs the knowledge into her database, and they'll use what they can to reinforce the chamber's defenses. That's where the PTR quest leaves us for the moment. But man oh man, did we learn a lot of interesting lore tidbits. Not just surrounding Refion, but just the world in general. We can be pretty certain that Refion is going to show up in this expansion. No more teasing or cutting out storylines, as he's got a full-blown new model, which made the people of the internet fall for him all over again. Refion is indeed growing up, and so are his ideas when it comes to the future of the world. His motivation, it has always been to try safeguarding the planets. When we experimented, we wanted to make a true black dragon, a true guardian of the world, one that was uncropped by the old gods. And that's what we got. He does not get corrupted or influenced on his mission. Which also means that his allegiances, they're not with the factions of the world. If you ask the question, can we trust him? Can we trust him to be there for us? Then the answer would be no. Even Anduin Rin, someone that he's very close to and he considers to be a friend, he was pushed to the side when he stood in the way of Refion's plans. It's Azeroth that has his allegiance and he will do everything he can. Everything that needs to happen to safeguard our future. That of course does not mean that he's perfect. The plans that he made up in the past, having one of the factions take over the other, use Garrosh to form the Iron Hordes, yeah those plans they kind of backfired, but his draconic heart was in the right place. I can't wait to party with Refion again, and perhaps even visit these Dragon Isles, learn knowledge that will aid us in the battle against Nazov. He does mention old gods several times, plural, which makes me wonder if Kafun and Yux are on, if there is still a massive threat to the world. Is that perhaps what Nazoth is after? Freeing his brothers? Or is he going to be satisfied with corrupting the world on his own? Is Refion perhaps searching for a way to restore the Dragonflights? Ian Hastacostas, he did mention that they had to do some rebuilding to bridge that gap again, and now we're infusing the heart of Azeroth with powers from the different flights. We've also seen Void-infused dragons already pop up, trying to convert more of their kinds to fall to the voids. Zalatov is still walking around somewhere. Can you imagine Zalatov and Refion in the same room together? The boy king, he serves at the master's table. Free lies he will offer you. 
Does Raphael perhaps know more about Anduin than we do? Will he be the clarification and perhaps ultimate salvation that we're looking for? I honestly can't wait to see this unfold. But by all means, let me know what you think is going to happen in the comments down below. The future is still very much unwritten, which has me very excited. But for now, thank you very much for watching everyone. If you're looking for more details on all the things that we talked about today, then check out the Lady Wild article in the description down below. Subscribe if you like my videos, leave a like if you enjoyed this one, and until next time, see ya! We have arrived at the end of episode 106. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I would like to thank the contributors of the episode. Today we have Matt's season show, we have Charm, we have Blizzard Entertainment, and we have Noble 87. Thank you so very much for letting us use. I've talked about BlizzCon and my expectations and all of that stuff at the beginning of the episode. So all I'll add at the end is I hope to see some of you, many of you, that go to BlizzCon there. Don't be shy. If you want to come and say hi, feel free to. You'll most likely find me running around in a t-shirt with the CRR logo on it. Or I'll have a shirt with my name on. So, a whole shirt, obviously. So, with that said, I will be at the DitchCon party. I will be at the Corn Before the Storm slash Wowhead party, most definitely. And again, if you are there, come and say hi. I would truly love to meet you. And thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. And see you in episode 107 with all the BlizzCon goodies to talk about. I hope you have enjoyed your time with the Forsaken of Corpse Run Radio this episode. Should you have an idea for a little segment of your own, I would love for you to become part of the cast. Or if you are a creator of Warcraft original or parody music and would like to be featured on the show, contact us at mail at gmail.com or on Twitter at CorpsRunRadio. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash CorpsRunRadio. Contact information for our contributors is available on our website, crr.podbean.com, along with the links for the segments played on the episode and other information. CorpsRun Radio is a non-profit fan podcast. All segments, music and sound effects are used with permission. Thank you for listening. Now go out, my minions. Let nothing stand in your way. Until next time.